Hello, good day, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are. This is Matthew Eric filling in for Sean Morgan on American Media Periscope, Making Sense of the Madness. Today we're going to have a, uh, a full show uh, dealing with the clash of the two competing systems of what the post-globalization world order is going to look like. We're going to shed light on some of the elements around the geopolitical manipulations, the encirclement of Russia and China, as well as the insane uh, push towards self-mutilation, the creation of artificial scarcity across Europe, the energy and food crisis, and a lot more. So stay tuned for more. Greetings. I am uh, very, very happy to be filling in. We've got a lot to go through, as I said, the, uh, the introductory remarks. The world right now is being pulled in a variety of directions. We have a logic right now that is sweeping across the transatlantic community, which is trying to use the creation of scarcity, which really goes back far before the events in Ukraine began uh, with the military intervention in February. This goes back decades, really, in the creation of an artificial system of scarcity that had destroyed a former age where capitalism in the 1950s, 60s, under people like JFK, had been directed towards creating abundance, making things better, accepting the idea that human beings are made in the image of God and that capital investments had to behave accordingly in such a way that we would be able to leap beyond the limits to growth. That was the former system, the wisdom that had given birth to the best of civilization, since the 70s, and something that happened in the early part of the 70s over the dead bodies of many great statesmen across the transatlantic, something changed and a new ethos, a new paradigm was imposed. We're going to go through some of that. But what we can see right now in the wake of the impending financial systemic blowout that we're currently living through, there is a drive towards doubling down on insanity. We have across Europe right now a uh, major, major push by technocratic puppet uh, governments that have been installed over the years to try to say that we have to be patriotic and defend European values by starving to death or freezing to death this winter. We have in Poland, the government there has been telling the people that it is now okay to forage for wood due to the lack of Russian natural gas and oil, the increased rates and prices that most people can't afford. We have, like literally, I mean, the people are actually being told to go and cut down wood. Of course, you still have to pay for it and it still has to be weighed, but you're, they're being told that that's okay. Going back to 15th century uh, modes of practice in a world where we have advanced technologies that could end world hunger several times over. On top of that, in England, in England, where, which has just given two point, I believe, four billion dollars in lethal aid to Ukraine, that England one in four adult uh, civilians have said that they will likely try to go the winter without using any heating because of the exponential increase of energy prices. France has begun imposing artificial um, uh, constraints on how much energy their population is allowed to use, how, many, how much energy and electricity, um, rationing is uh, the word I was looking for, how much electricity their businesses are allowed to use. And Emmanuel Macron has said, we have entered the end of the age of abundance. This is the common theme that we have spread all over Europe. We have the same thing, obviously, in Canada, in the United States. 
um, which is this idea that we have to get used to the idea of living with less, living without owning things, renting things that we're allowed to have that we pay for from those who do own things, who are those who we find uh, circulating around such forms as Davos, who are those uh, multi-billionaires who will be permitted to own the things that the useless eaters permitted to survive will be allowed to, to borrow or rent um, while they're eating bugs. So this is a very dystopic logic. I don't think necessarily everyone who's pushing it is in on it, but at the same time, there is a lot of folly, insanity, and that is permitting this rot to just increase when the obvious solution is right in front of our face. We have right now uh, Germany, which is burning wood chips, wood chips to whole towns across Germany, the industrial hub of Europe is shutting down. And people like Olaf Scholz, again, a useful idiot, has said that we would not accept as Germans a peace process in Ukraine if it were in any way not on Ukraine and Kiev's full terms. How insane is that? Germany, which has the Mittelstand, the one of the last remaining industrial hubs that needs a lot of capital energy. You need a lot of natural gas and oil. You need things like Nord Stream 2. Hell, you, you need Nord Stream 1, which is also being shut down seemingly for repairs uh, today, which will go on till September 3rd. So this is actually, by the time you're watching this, it might be reopening, but at 20% capacity. So Germany needs these things. And despite that, the chancellor is saying that we would not accept the conditions of a peace process if it were in any way not on the 100% terms of Kiev, meaning a return completely of Crimea, of Donbass, the, the East Donetsk republics, which is never going to happen. So they're saying, we don't care. We don't care about the people. We don't care about actual peace. And we don't really care about the Ukrainians either. As Lindsey Graham even said, you know, we're, we're happy that the entire U.S. government uh, or the, sorry, the Senate has agreed unanimously to voting to make Russia a state sponsor of terror coming from a, a government which has openly uh, been supporting neo-Nazi wearing, swastika wearing fanatics in Kiev that overthrew a democratically elected government in 2014 under the helm of people like Victoria Nuland, Joe Biden himself. This is the same operation which has used ISIS operatives, Al-Qaeda that was created by Zbigniew Brzezinski working for Jimmy Carter that poured $500 million in 1979 to 81 into radical madrasas that created and radicalized a whole generation of um, Muslims to basically become Al-Qaeda. This is what gave birth to Al-Qaeda was Operation Cyclone to entrap and try to destroy the Soviet Union, which Zbigniew Brzezinski himself said was his pride and joy, the best success of his career. This is now the the, the operation that Lin, Lindsay, I, I think I said Lindsey Graham, right? Um, has... <clears throat> simply said that we will now declare Russia a state sponsor of terror. Meanwhile, he was also saying that we will ha we're happy to give Ukrainians as many weapons as they need and that they will fight to the last Ukrainian. And that was really the where the kernel of the truth was struck upon, that the idea of the Ukrainians is to fight and really use them as cannon fodder for geopolitical manipulations in a proxy war that really has nothing to do with making Ukraine a free and democratic state. They're the most corrupt state in the world. Um, that is open. That's not even my hyperbole. That is openly acknowledged um, on UN, develop, uh, UN development charts and, and everything else. This is the most, the highest corrupt state, I would say not maybe in the world, but certainly in Europe. 
and people like Zelensky has been discovered in the Panama Papers to have over $600 million in assets in offshore Cayman Islands holdings, um, making him by far the richest uh, stand-up comedian in the world. So we have a serious crisis in thinking. The solution is clear. Simply accept the terms and conditions of peace as they could happen. Stop trying to use Ukrainians and and stop trying to use especially radicalized uh, neo-Nazi Svoboda-loving, Azov-loving operatives uh, as your proxies. Get Nord Stream 2, which is pretty much built. Get it up and running the way Angela Merkel was moving towards create some abundance and stop trying to destroy what energy and food is needed to supply and support the lives of people as we see again from macron announcing the creation of a green police police force which the interior minister of france has said is a revolution in uh, environmental affairs there will be thousands of, of green gendarmes now hired to police and make sure that the carbon emission quotas and farms and other uh, entrepreneurs are met that that people who, are, who had formerly made their lives based upon producing things, actually shut down the basis of their economy. And I would just show one slide here. What is understood and what has been understood uh, really for decades and decades is that there's a direct relationship between quality of energy and per capita energy use of your, of your society and quality of life. And this is the United Nations Development Program, Life Expectancy, Adult Literacy, School Enrollment, GDP Per Capita, uh, index, which can, you can clearly see that t- countries that have a high use of energy per capita, like Canada, USA, Iceland, Finland, Germany, have a very high life expectancy, the highest of the world, the highest GDP per capita, and the lowest when you look at Ethiopia, which has something like uh, 90 kilowatt hours per year of use per, p- per individual within Ethiopia, has a life expectancy of the high 30s, low 40s, and a high infant mortality rate, low per capita GDP. This is the relationship between energy per capita and quality of life, quantity of people you could support, has been understood as a direct causal connection for a long time. This is the nature of the fight, and we will get a new system. The question is, what will that new system be based upon? Will it be based upon the things that people like Klaus Schwab, Mark Carney, other uh, fanatics who are really pushing a depopulation agenda want, which is to tie the new set of values around the reduction of the carbon footprints, which is just another way of saying the reduction of the means of supporting life and incentivizing monetarily activities which reduce human impact onto nature, which is one pathway we could be taking. And there are many people that do want to take us in that direction. The other direction would be tie the value and the behavior of money investments of capital into the support of more life, both of nature, creating greening of deserts, which we'll talk about a little bit later, as well as creating better abundance, more higher quality standards of living and better quality people who know more, have more knowledge and live happier, more secure lives. That is the other option that you can have a capital system working towards. So one of those two types of processes are going to come out on top. They cannot coexist any longer as two antagonistic systems as they have for thousands of years. Um, We are living in a historic moment and coming up next after this uh, upcoming commercial break, we will look at some of the insanity in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, regarding uh, what has been discussed by leading central bankers who don't understand the basic fundamentals of human populations with energy and what is really needed to put out the fires spreading across the world today.
government-induced inflation, taxes, rising interest rates, political instability. All of these can have a crushing effect on our investments, often causing the stock market to go down. But they can also cause gold and silver to go up. Hi, this is Dr. Kirk Elliott. Buy gold, buy silver, buy now, but buyer beware. Precious metals companies are not created equal. As a PhD economist, I have been in the financial, economic, and precious metals business for three decades. The philosophy of my firm is people over profit. I encourage you to read my bio to learn more about me at kirkelliottphd.com. Now is the time to own physical metals in an IRA, 401k, and outside of a retirement plan. Don't let the government destroy your hard-earned assets any longer. Call 720-605-3900 or visit kirkelliottphd.com. All right, we're back for our second segment here. We have just discussed uh, the artificial scarcity, especially in energy, the relationship of population, living standards, quantity of people, the ability to live in a world of abundance or scarcity um, in the previous segment, and the commitment by certain um, ideologues trying to manage the crisis and the controlled demolition of our financial system in the Western transatlantic community. Um, we're going to now discuss a little bit more on the financial side. Just this week, we know that it was, or last week, as of you, as of you, an audience member listening to this, uh, we had the Jackson Hole, Wyoming annual meeting of central bankers. Uh, Jerome Powell made a, an announcement that we will be dealing with the obvious rates of deadly inflation that are only going to be getting deadlier by increasing the interest rates of the U.S. Now, on the surface, this seems sane because, I mean, many people are persuaded that obviously printing money, and I think it's something like 80% of the money in circulation was printed just in the last two or three years, especially since Corona. Um, printing money without any increase of the real value sustaining life in the, the real economy, that is insane. That's always going to be inflationary no matter what. So we've just printed money. And, and really, this goes back even before, uh, you know, Corona began, and, and if we go all the way back to 2007 with the housing market uh, debacle and the flooding, the quantitative easing, the age of helicopter money by Ben Bernanke that was unleashed, we've seen trillions of dollars created out of thin air to prop up too big to fail banks that really just gambled with other people's money, doing things that 20, 30 years ago, bankers would have gone thrown, gotten thrown in jail for, like Michael Milken, who ran the junk bond schemes in the early 1980s. These things became common normative practice, which we'll say a little bit more about later, throughout the 1990s, especially under Alan Greenspan. And instead of putting them through bankruptcy receivership, breaking up the banks, putting bankers in jail for having gambled with people's savings, instead of doing any of these things, what we saw instead was what? Just printing taxpayer money and flooding the system to keep these zombie banks infused with a little bit more blood to keep them moving with the illusion that they're alive, alive for a little bit longer. We know that that was a fraud. It was a giant illusion. And now here we are over a decade later, and we're it sitting on the biggest bubble upon bubble upon bubble that's being supported by mostly unpayable debts waiting to be defaulted upon, um, setting in motion the biggest financial collapse in human history. On top of that, we have the factor of hyper hyperinflation, which I know is always being discussed by viewer, viewers who watch this show. They know that 
Hyperinflation is a very real thing. 1923 process, processes that occurred in Weimar, Germany, which made everyone a billionaire, but everyone was also not able to buy bread because that was worth trillions. Um, that's the sort of process. So we have a twofold process of a financial speculative bubble upon bubble that's deleveraging, that sort of like the, the process that we saw in 1929, just waiting to be triggered, kind of like in 1929, what happened was a broker call loan coordinated by the JP Morgan uh, operatives who then just said on the same day, all brokers will have to pay back the loans they took to take out uh, bets on the stock markets. That obviously created a very foreseeable chain reaction default. And what happened was for those who were on the JP Morgan preferreds clients list, who knew that the pricking of the bubble was going to be happening in a coordinated fashion, they were able to sell short, sell early, and then buy up pennies on the dollar in the wor biggest wealth transfer ever seen in world history. Meanwhile, what were these freaks doing back in the 1920s and 30s? Well, if you look at Prescott Bush, you look at Brown Brothers, you look at uh, JP Morgan, you look at the entire Rockefeller operation, they were funding Hitler. They were funding the sponsorship of the growth of a pseudoscience known as eugenics, population control, the weeding out of the unfit. This was the entire trend that was being taught in Harvard, in Yale. So now we have a situation where just like back in the 20s and 30s, there is a push to create a shock therapy, a traumatized population suffering through a couple of years of hell on earth as the life of people had to go through and suffer back in the 20s and the early 30s. And just like these same financiers are using the same game plan, they're pushing a system of eugenics. Now, of course, masquerading with a different name, transhumanism being one of those names, um, as a new governing religious-like ideology for the elites to create a new type of world government post-nation state as a way to bring us into a contraction of the population levels of the earth. Do I think Jerome Powell is necessarily in on it? I'm not convinced that he is, but he's a creature of the system. And so when he's looking at the massive runaway inflation, all he can think to do is constrict the money supply, make it harder to take out loans uh, at, for a business, for a farm, for anything. This obviously also has global international ramifications. How? Well, all of a sudden, other banks, let's say the Bank of India, the central bank there has to also increase its rates. Why? Because, well... If it owns and holds a bunch of rupees, which it really, I mean, a lot of trade internationally is being settled and payments are being settled outside of the US dollar, the rupees and ruples, Chinese yuan are being uh, now used as an alternative mode because a lot of these countries, especially in Eurasia, can see that the financial system is going down like a Titanic and they're trying to protect themselves from the oncoming tsunami. But despite that, if India now says, okay, well, we have we offer 1% interest on those who hold uh, Indian rupees. Well, we can only pay you 1% if you, if you invest in our rupees. But yet the U.S. can say, well, look, we can pay 2.5 uh, to 2.6%, uh, which is what it's looking like now with an, an additional 1% to 2.5% increase going up to 35 to 4% uh, under Jerome Powell's orientation. Well, that's a lot more paybacks in, as an investor to the U.S. dollar. So you're going to sell your rupees and you're going to buy U.S. dollars unless India can make their rupees just as equally incentivized for purchasers, which is then going to do what but make it more difficult for Indians to then take out loans. And all countries have to do something similar because if you have differentials that are too great, it will create a massive destruction of local currencies. So you're forcing the entire world economy to contract the money supply because we saw a sloppy use of money printing that is inflationary, if not hyperinflationary over the past several years. Now, was printing money wrong? 
Yes, it was wrong the way it was done. Could it have been done in a wise way? Yes, it could have. Is contracting the money supply in a tight money policy going to make the problem even worse? Well, yes, because we don't have a real supply uh, process. Supply chains are being broken down, but we have destroyed over 50 years our entire physical economic productive system, our ability to supply ourselves as Canadians, as Americans, as Europeans, the means of production of the things that we used to do ourselves in the 50s, 60s, 70s, that's gone. And if we could just pull up a slide here on the distribution of the labor force, you could see very clearly the trend. I mean, this is a, from 1840 to 2010. Um, I could have found a better picture, but the, the trend is very clear. If we just look at World War II, just afterwards, we had um, industrial activity was almost 40% of the overarching American labor force. The services sector represented a certain proportion, a little above 50%, but 40% was the industrial base. Agriculture represented an additional uh, 12, 13%. And the trend has been, especially since the killing of JFK, towards turning society into a money-worshipping consumer cult. And starting with 1971, with the floating of the US dollar and the, the, the complete um, idea of no longer investing in 10, 20 year big mega projects, which is what JFK was doing, Bobby Kennedy, Charles de Gaulle, we're, we're all moving towards uh, building big projects. And as they say, um, as a wise man once said <laughs> a long time ago, without a vision of pe the people perish, we lost the vision. We became a myopic money worshiping society. What happens is, well, we outsourced all of the former industries to sweatshops, cheap labor sources in China, in Mexico, which had to stay so poor they couldn't consume the things that they produced just to be feeding our Western dollar stores and other cheap uh, goods that we no longer had any economic sovereignty over. So we've lost the actual means of production. Farmers have been shut down in increasingly. And starting in 1979, when the Trilateral Commission had consolidated their power under David Rockefeller, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who I brought up earlier, Henry Kissinger, all members of, of the Trilateral Commission, they took over with, with Carter. We see that Paul Volcker, who became Federal Reserve Chairman, first unleashed this idea that, okay, the inflation of the 70s could be only be stopped by increasing the interest rates to up to 20% for two years. What did this do? This obviously shut down massively the small and medium enterprises, the farms, suicides went up and you had a gobbling up of those things that that small and medium farmers and entrepreneurs used to do their, themselves by megaliths, Monsanto's, Cargill's, Archer, Archer Daniel's Midlands. Um, so this was the age of the 80s, gobbling up, gobbling up what was little remained to a, a transnational, supranational grouping of, of uh, power structures, often allied to Kissinger's student Klaus Schwab, who had been installed to set up the World Economic Forum in 1971, at the same time that this overarching consumer society paradigm shift was brought into play. And you had a new body coordinating with things like the Bilderberger Group and others to try to take the, the means of production away from nation states, while nation states became uh, destroyed of any ability to regulate their own affairs, direct their own banking system. And so today we now have Jerome Powell and others all saying, okay, the only solution is contract the money supply. Why is there no discussion about really building infrastructure? Now, I'm not talking about Biden's green infrastructure agenda. That is just a billions and billions of dollars being put into green energy boondoggles that are going to destroy our ability to produce even more. Green energies, windmills, 
don't mean anything when it comes to supporting life and, and having capital intensive quality of energy, which we'll say a bit more in the next segment. But this is really what's going on right now. And we need to return back to a competent idea of real banking, real economics. And that means putting that money into things that are going to increase the powers of productivity and the quality of life of people, which is the nature of human beings, is to make life better for our kids and grandkids who come after us. That's what economics should be about. And we'll say a little bit more about the Green New Deal, its founders, people like Maury Strong, where these insidious ideas came from when we come back after the coming commercial break. Inflation is out of control. The price of gasoline has doubled in a very short time and interest rates are set to rise. How do you protect and grow your portfolio to make sure that you do not outlive your assets? Invest in annuities that have rate lock. Rate lock is an innovative new feature that allows you to lock in your rate of return at any time during the year to lock in these volatile upswings of the market. And unlike CDs and money market accounts, they accumulate tax deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they're probate free and they can provide an income that you can't outlive. With all the different companies, features, indexes, and benefits which annuities offer, it can be confusing to choose which annuity is best for your unique situation. Let a company you can trust help you select a rate lock annuity that's right for you. Add an annuity to your retirement portfolio and start enjoying the many benefits that smart investors love. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. Cleveland Insurance Group, 844-USA-2024. Okay, we're back for the third segment of Making Sense of the Madness. We just went through a lot of material uh, that I just brushed over very, very briefly, but all that to say the key point so far in our story is that the financial system has been turned from a once viable capitalist productive system that was based upon creating abundance, creating free energy that could be reinvested back into the overall system um, that would make scientific and technological leaps into new discoveries that would allow human beings to overcome the limits of growth that we're always pressing upon what today's environmentalists call our carrying capacity, the ability to support a certain level of population at a certain level of technology. The, that was lost. And the idea of economics became something that was increasingly redefined around worshiping money and making as much payback to your shareholders as you possibly could without any consideration to the real world ramifications of what was going on. And nation states were increasingly stripped of their ability to have any play. That was the overarching uh, theme. And one thing I really do want to reemphasize is that we've come to a point now where that basket case bubble system built upon infinitely increasing rates of debts upon debts upon debts that are then bundled and speculated upon and insured in the form of derivative contracts, what Alan Greenspan calls creative financial instruments. This is coming to a foreseeable end. Those who set this thing into motion back in the early 70s knew that this was the only direction it was going to uh, hit. The actual form it took, that was not known, but the general idea that when you take a productive economy, you shut down the means of production and you create in its replacement bubbles that are completely detached from real world values. The bubbles only have one effect. You can grow and blow that hubba bubba bubble gum as much as you want, but there is an upper limit to how far that bubble will glow, grow before it blows up in your face. Bubbles do that. That's a fact of the forces of nature and physical space time as we know it. 
And every time this has been done economically through economic warfare to destroy target nations, going back to the 19th century, the 17th century, and I, we can look at examples of the, the tulip bubble in the Netherlands. We can look at the British South Sea bubble of 1720 that blew up and destroyed the lives of many people, but really created a wealth transfer of the Hellfire Club, the entire satanic operation that was taking control of the British uh, Isles and turning the British nation, the state, into an empire. This is, again, 1720. The effect was always the same. And throughout the entire 19th century in the United States, every time this has been done, the effect is the same. Um, so the economic warfare is a, the least understood but most important component of real-world history. People understand the, the the obvious warfare, what the bombs look like and other things, but hybrid warfare, asymmetrical warfare is much less understood. Economic warfare is one of the most important things. So this is what has currently been waged on the United States to crush the constitutional traditions that had been represented by the greatest American patriots, people like Bobby Kennedy, um, John F. Kennedy. I mean, look at any president who dies while in office and just look at what they're doing. Franklin Roosevelt, look at what he did to break up the banks to stop the first Great Reset Conference of 1933 in London, um, how he was able to create a, a viable economic system premised around the creation of real world values with protective tariffs, or look before him at Warren Harding and what he was trying to do to upset the League of Nations and their attempt at one world government in 1922-23 before he died of bad oysters, or look at McKinley in 1901, what he was doing or Garfield, or Lincoln, or Harrison, or Zachary Taylor. There's a constant theme with the United States that has been scaring the heck out of oligarchs for a very long time that they've been trying to undo. And the best way to undo it is to get your victim to do it to themselves. This has been the, the story of the US for the past 50 years. So now what I wanna do in, the, in this segment is just quickly introduce, we brought up Klaus Schwab as a student of Henry Kissinger who was installed to be a front man for the World Economic Forum. We discussed the creation of a new, um, ethic of consumerism. We discussed a lot of these things that created a time bomb that's now waiting to blow up. And it will blow up. The question is, is the is the blast going to be uh, targeting and hitting the people? Or can we get a competent change in policy to, to make this blast, this, this controlled demolition, as Paul Volcker called it back in 1979? Paul Volcker, right? He actually said, we need a controlled demolition of the banking system. Um, this is what we're going through. Can we make that hit the private speculators, the, the, the people in Davos, instead of the people and in, instead of the sovereign nation states? The quote that I want people to just look at, there's two quotes by Maury Strong, one of the godfathers of the Green New Deal. This first quote took place in West Magazine in uh, 1990, where he's musing about the Davos, the World Economic Forum, which he, by the way, is a co-founder of. And Klaus Schwab even gave him homage for being the co-founder and his mentor when he installed, uh, you know, the young sociopathic German Dr. Evil lookalike into the position that he was in. So Maury Strong says, while musing about a fiction book he would like to write, he says, what if a small group of world leaders were to conclude that the principal risk to the earth comes from the actions of the rich countries? And if the world is to survive, those rich countries would have to sign an agreement reducing their impact on the environment. Will they do it? The group's conclusion is no. The rich countries will not do it. They won't change. So in order to save the planet, the group decides, isn't the only hope for the planet that industrial civilizations collapse? Isn't it our responsibility to bring that about? That's pretty candid. And uh, people could 
actually Google this, find the West Magazine interview and read this whole thing for yourself. Maury Strong is not just some guy just musing. He was the leading coordinator of things like the Rio de Janeiro UN Environmental Conference, which was the second anniversary, uh, sorry, the second decadal anniversary of the first UN Environmental Conference on the on Population and the Environment, which was again chaired by Maury Strong himself in 1972. So this is in 1992, he goes and does it again, pushing forth for again the idea of a new global green set of mechanisms above nations that could be controlled by an unelected bureaucracy of, of scientific experts that could then force the contraction of pollution and the causes of pollution, meaning industrial activity, on all nations, thus crushing the ability to support your people. This is what the Rio conference in Brazil was all about in 1992 that was spearheaded by Maury Strong. Maury Strong, by the way, just to say, he was a David Rockefeller appointee, a, a, a prodigy, I should say, who was installed as a young Canadian sociopath um, into becoming the head of several major oil companies. While he was a big fanatic against oil his whole life, he was installed as the CEO of several major oil companies, including the uh, Power Corporation of Quebec. As the youngest vice president, he presided over a selection committee, as he says in his own words, in the cloak of green, in an interview with Elaine Dewar, published in 1994. That selection committee that he was a part of decided upon Pierre Elliott Trudeau being turned into a Trudeau mania type of um, superhero for uh, young gullible hippies to uh, drool over, which became Trudeau mania in 1968. It was a complete psyop, and he was on the selection committee that picked him out. He was a privy counselor. He worked very closely with Prince uh, Bernhard uh, in the creation of the 1001 Nature Nature Trust that oversaw the expansion of the World Wildlife Fund, the creation of new umbrella, uh, basically new organizations to protect the environment from human beings that took over the 1970s and 80s. He was really the godfather of the Green New Deal as we know it. The idea of taking the, the genuine New Deal of Franklin Roosevelt that was based on increasing the productive powers of labor of people and building dams, building hydroelectric power plants in order to improve both the production of nature by greening deserts like the Imperial Valley of California and instead turn the Green New Deal into the the destruction of the means of production. So you could say, oh, these were just musings by Maury Strong in 1990. Well, go on to 1992 and look at his keynote address. So I pulled out another quote. Now, in 1992, Maury Strong says... Industrialized, this is now to Rio, to that summit sponsored by the UN. Industrialized countries have developed and benefited from unsustainable patterns of production and consumption, which have produced our present dilemma. It is clear that current lifestyles and consumption patterns of the affluent middle class involving high meat intake, consumption of large amounts of frozen and convenience foods, use of fossil fuels, appliances, home and workplace air conditioning, and suburban housing are not sustainable. A shift is necessary towards lifestyles less geared to environmentally damaging consumption patterns. Sound familiar? This is 30 years ago. He didn't necessarily come out directly saying we need to eat bugs, but here we are. They're even talking about turning windmills into resins using new technologies that could be then turned into gummy bears. This is on Scientific American that could then be fed to people They're talking not only about feeding us bugs, but feeding us windmills that they don't know what to do with the waste. It's too, I mean, the material you put into these things is too wasteful to even put into safe dumpsters. Um, And here we are talking about feeding windmills to people. 
while food production is being shut down, fertilizer use is being shut down at a time of food crisis when 15,000 children, mostly in Africa, died of starvation today. All of these things using just the technology we currently have available to us will solve the problem, let alone introducing the new technologies. But you have a force, an invisible ideological force, a cage, which is carrying idiots like Ursula van der Leyen, Justin Trudeau, and others to instead say no, or Biden, that no, we need to declare deserts free of hydroelectric power so that in California you have hydro dams that are sustaining the lives of people with electricity and water for reservoirs, for food and irrigation that are being shut down to liberate, actually dismantle as we speak, to liberate the rivers and, and that will somehow now be better off for not having a dam or to free the deserts of human activity. So people are now being told the problem of the water and, and food crisis in California is we shouldn't have had people there to begin with. There's more people in California than in Canada. It'll be good if we can just get rid of about 80% of those people and even elected officials in California are saying these things. Biden is saying 30% of uh, the surface area of the United States will be fully off limits to any human activity for economic purposes by 2030. That's what the UN wants to make or the World Economic Forum wants to make as part of their 2030 agenda. Um, this is genocide. This is destruction. This is the ghost of Maurice Strong. So even though his body died, these bad ideas live on. And um, I've lost track of time. So I'm assuming that I'm reaching the end of our uh, third segment. And uh, we'll go for a little commercial break and be back for more after this. I'm Clay Clark, and I'm not an inventor. And this is Bob. My name is Bob Healy, and I'm the inventor of the Grill Blazer Grill Gun. Gentlemen, let me introduce you to the Grill Gun. Oh! I would have greened that anyway. I need that! Yes! So, Bob, how does your equation work? Okay, now hang on. This is a fairly sophisticated equation. You have a grill gun. It creates fire. Fire plus grilling equals America. Push it down and... Yeah. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Check it out! <laughs> fire plus grilling equals America. So we're back now for the fourth segment of Making Sense of the Madness. Uh, we've gone through a lot already. We've looked at Maury Strong. We've looked at the reasons behind the current bubble, how the economy became a time bomb of a bubble waiting to be destroyed under a controlled demolition. And we looked at how some idiots at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, are really just thinking about hectically moving around deck chairs on the Titanic instead of actually thinking about a real systemic remedy to save the lives of people and to preserve the nation states of the world. Um, to, at this segment, I'd like to go through a little bit of a positive counterpoint to this dystopic uh, reality that many of us here are living through in the transatlantic. I just want to say one thing, too. While human beings have been declared the primary enemy to nature, to Gaia, which is supposedly something which lives in a pristine state, one of the points that I really want to just hammer at, which reflects the first image, the first slide that we saw at the beginning of the show regarding the connection between quality of energy and population levels, as well as population quality of life. There it is. 
That is something which the oligarchy itself, and we do live under an oligarchy for those who might still be confused about this, have been also looking at and thinking, well, how do you get people to accept forms of energy that will reduce their ability to sustain themselves? Because you can't just say, let's democratically just commit uh, seppuku. You can't just do that. People would generally say no. So what you say is, well, okay, let's scare the heck out of them. And we'll get them to think that carbon dioxide and other things are the cause of the destruction of nature. Now, Alexander King, who worked very closely with Maurice Strong at the founding of the Club of Rome in 1969, 68-69, Maurice Strong was the founder of the Canadian Club of Rome, with uh, overseen by people like Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who was an early patron. What they basically said was, okay, well, we can't tell poor countries to just die. But what we can do is we could say the money we give them for aid will go towards appropriate technologies. The former governments of people like John Diefenbaker in Canada or John F. Kennedy were looking at Africa, looking at Pakistan and India and thinking, okay, how can we help you end the existence of starvation, hunger, want, scarcity by providing you the best, most advanced technologies, nuclear powered, uh, everything that is needed, water development, hydroelectric dams. How could we help you help yourself so that we're not just giving people a few fish to feed them for a day, but giving them the means to learn how to fish. And that was the general ethos of the best of the West. People like Enrico Mattei, who was killed, was looking at this for Africa, the great industrialist from Italy, as well as Dag Hammarskjöld, um, whose plane also went down the same year, um, who was also doing the same thing. So what Maurice Strong and, and his ilk basically said is, okay, we'll give you money, but you, the money that, let's say, Nigeria gets can only go towards things that don't affect the either ecosystems or their tribal lifestyles. So if their tribal, pure, noble, savage lifestyle, it's a very racist way of thinking, um, involves modes of activity that have them walk 12 miles every day to get a little bit of dirty water from a well, or see three out of six of their kids die of um, infant mortality before the age of two, or uh, you know suffer under overarching life expectancy of 39, 40 years of age, well, that is your natural state as a culture. And any type of aid you get or technologies you wish to build cannot infringe upon that natural equilibrium, that natural ecosystem. And thus, windmills, uh, solar panels, those things will be appropriate technologies. Whereas things like, you know, using the coal under your own your own soil or using the thorium or uranium or having access to the technologies that would involve you having access to oil refinement that would allow you to have electricity for the people of your society and have an industrial base. Those were inappropriate technologies and part of the conditionalities of the IMF, the World Bank or, or USAID that you will be given will be that you cannot use it for your people for those reasons. If we, if we do allow you to have mining in Africa, it will be because of Barrick Gold or other Western companies, Shell Dutch Oil going in to extract and send to the Western markets. So that's been the general immoral, I would even say, satanic ethos, often masquerading behind morality or virtue, which has been keeping the underdeveloped parts of the world less and less developed with each passing year, no matter how much money is poured on them. Because the question is the intention is has always been there to shoot their kneecaps in the middle of a race. So now we're at a situation where we have an alternative. I, I mentioned to, I alluded to a multipolar alliance, a different type of financial system where trade is being settled outside of the US dollar, which is the global reserve currency. But most importantly, what we see coming out of especially Russia's leadership, a big reason why there's a, a big push to create a war on Russia, 
or destroy Russia economically, which has failed so far, is based on this fact that Russia with the other allied countries of Eurasia are creating a viable alternative economic uh, architecture with a different way of doing things, looking a lot more sane. And a recent speech by Lavrov that he delivered, I think is very important. I pulled out two sections. Um, <clears throat> the first little uh, excerpt that I have here, he's shaking Narendra Modi's hand. And in it, he's basically just describing how this new system is coming online. He says that the potential is good and reassuring, especially in the context of the ongoing efforts to form a multipolar, just and democratic world order. This is an objective process that is grounded in historical, uneven international development. The formerly backward regions of the planet are becoming the driving engines of global economy and new centers of economic growth and financial power. And their political clout is growing. China, India, Egypt, Turkey, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, and, Af and the African states are becoming the pillars of the objectively emerging world order. He's just named about 70% of the world's population right there. And it's true that there is a recalibration towards building large-scale infrastructure and utilizing things like national banking instead of having private central bankers controlling what nations are allowed to do outside of the political structures, like the European Central Bank or the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Canada. There's a different mo motion happening in Eurasia and, and also Africa is, is springing to life right now with a lot of hope. I'll say a few words about that, but he says here, with 120 votes at the United Nations, the non-aligned movement, which are basically the, the, all of the nations that formed um, in the 1960s and 70s around who didn't want to take part of either uh, side of the Iron Curtain, which itself was a geopolitical manipulation by British intelligence, Winston Churchill, traitors of the deep state inside the United States who made this happen. But uh, he basically said, OK, the non-aligned movement can exert direct influence on the agreements developed by this international organization and its various agencies concerning matters of principle for the planet and the future of humankind. The movement constantly upholds the UN Charter principles, which is a courageous act given the circumstances when the West, in an, in an attempt to maintain dominance and to go against the objective course of history, is tearing up international law and imposing a rules-based order on everyone. Of course, when he's talking about the UN Charter here, he, he's talking about the actual 1946 Charter that enshrines the sovereignty of nation states as sacred and um, within the Charter, even though it hasn't been followed He's not being a, a crypto globalist by saying this. He's simply saying the UN Charter is not based on one world government. It's based on the sovereignty of nation states that communicate and work together for the greater good. It doesn't mean world government. That's a key point of confusion for a lot of people. Um, so now the non-aligned movement, if we actually look at some of the things here, the next slide is just an image of some of the key original participants of the non-aligned movement um, sparked by India, a lot of African nations. Um, the next slide there is that it's based upon principles fleshed out around the, what's called the five principles of peaceful coexistence, of mutual respect for the territorial integrity and sovereignty of nations, mutual non-aggression, mutual non-interference, equality and mutual benefit, and most importantly, the peaceful coexistence of nation states, win-win cooperation, meaning we can make the pie not just bigger, but better quality pie. Um, that is a, a lost ethos that the U.S. used to have, but we forgot under the age of Malthusianism. And so uh, the last thing here, or not the last thing, but the second to last thing, um, if you go to the next slide and uh, you see again here, Lavrov saying that like China and the Russian Federation, India has adopted a balanced position on climate change. We do not connect, consider it possible to suspend any human activity that is declared bad for the climate just because the green lobby wants it so. 
The Green Lobby often ignores developing countries' need and tries to take the advantage of the fact that the West has reached higher technological levels and can say no to a number of energy sources. If you actually look at the next slide after that, India and China, as well as other poor countries, have caused the increase of biomass on the earth through their economic activity. By producing carbon dioxide, you're producing food for plant life. By building water diversion projects like the Move South Water North of China, that's greening big chunks of the Gobi Desert, as well as supplying electricity and uh, water for uh, farmers and cities, you're creating more green. That is the true green policy. The same thing for India. This has freaked out a lot of environmentalists who have been led to believe that all human activity can only do destruction and not good. But here we are, human activity, actually good. When you are behaving in a way which is creating an increased amount of quality of the biomass and human life together at the same time, not one or the other. Um, What we have is... On the other hand, Bill Gates and others are saying, no, we have to we have to do the opposite. We have to stop global warming, which, by the way, is not even really happening. When you look at the real data, we have global cooling and the the push, the push towards a real new ice age. And instead, they're saying we need to block out the sun's rays with projects that put carbon particulates in the atmosphere to block out uh, the sun, which the which plants need for life or spread solar panels over deserts, which are going to prevent the growing of, of any life in deserts by increasing the, the average heat to the desert surface by 5% or uh, 5 degrees or more on average. You're, dis- you're, you're shutting down carbon dioxide by illegalizing it and calling it a poison when food plants need that to survive as well as humans. Water, you're shutting down dam, you're shutting down the ability of having desalination of, of salt water by saying these are unnatural and bad for the ecosystems, the natural, pure ecosystems of the Sahara Desert or California, which should be a desert. It's a war against nature. It's a war against the flow of the universe. It's a war against God's will and design and purpose for creating creation as it was created with us made in in his image. So this is really an offense on that level of an abuse of natural law and an inversion of it. And I want people to really just let that sink in because real natural law is progress. It is making things better. It is self-perfectibility. And that is how life has moved from being single-celled, boring amoebas, you know, a long time ago to becoming very complex, organized, coherent uh, processes that could communicate over light as we're doing right now, um, purely through the power of creative mentation and sharing and love. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good spot to end this segment, and we'll come back for the last segment in a second. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I want to give each and every one of you one last chance to get my original My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now. Use your promo code and you'll get your very own My Slippers for only $49.98. That's $90 off and the biggest savings ever. What makes My Slippers different is my exclusive four-layer design that you won't find in any other slippers. My Slippers patented layers make them ultra-comfortable, extremely durable, and they help reduce stress on your feet. Not only that, they come with an indoor-outdoor sole so you can wear them anytime, anywhere. I guarantee they'll be the most comfortable slippers you'll ever own. And now you can get them for the best savings ever, only $49.98. Go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now to get your very own My Slippers for only $49.98. That's $90 off. We have extremely low quantities, and once they're gone, they're gone. So order now.
Hey, this is Matthew Eric back with our final segment of Making Sense of the Madness. We've gone through a lot, um, and I, I had a feeling we would. Uh, the last little segment, I want to just pull back a little bit more. We've looked at now a rise of a new multipolar uh, system. There's problems with it. There's obviously deep state operations within all of those countries embedded within Eurasia. But unlike the transatlantic part of the world, they there is a fight of patriots and nationalists against a lot of these deep state tentacles that have worked very hard to subvert these nations within, as we saw in the case of the 1990s, under Yeltsin and Gorbachev, who recently, who just died this week, by the way, Gorbachev, um, around the destruction of Russia as a civilizational force under the helm of people like Strobe Talbot, Victoria Nuland, uh, George Soros, who ensured that Russia would be destroyed. They lost their population levels as well as average life expectancy in historic rates. Just like the U.S. today has gone from an average life expectancy of almost 70 years, 79 years of age two years ago to 76.1 years of age on average, which is a two plus year drop in life expectancy, the biggest in over 60 or I think 70 years. Um, unheard of all for very preventable reasons. So this is what was attempted in Russia. You had the same thing with George Soros's operations in China throughout the 1980s and David Rockefeller pushing the one, one child policy um, to really turn these countries into feudal slave colonies under an IMF World Bank city of London control. And uh, <clears throat> there's been a de-weeding. There's been a fight in those countries that have resulted at the very least in a chance right now that we have as a species to bring about an alternative system based upon cooperation and long-term development, utilizing uh, natural gas, coal, nuclear power, and doing it in such a way that it benefits both nations and people alike. And I'm going to go through a few examples, but I just want to show one thing here to remind people of the current state of affairs. Uh, the first picture is a military encirclement, a containment of Russia and China that Donald Trump walked into in 2016. There's an image here of the U.S. military. No, next one. And uh, that's the one of the U.S. military uh, buildup, 100,000 U.S. troops representing not the U.S. nation or the, the people, but rather the U.S. military industrial complex that Eisenhower warned was taking over, that killed JFK, that killed his brother, that took over with all of these things, which also involved the CIA, the FBI internally as different aspects of this deep state operation, which is not American at all. It, it didn't arise with, with just Donald Trump. This goes a long time into the deep past. So this is 100,000 troops, 58,000 in Japan with military bases, 28,000 U.S. troops built up in South Korea with bad missile shields pointed both at Russia and China. This really grew out of Hillary Clinton's doctrine in 2010 and Obama's Asia pivot. Um, you've got a similar military containment and an attempt to use Taiwan, just like they've used Ukraine as a military industrial complex proxy state that was put in power by a color revolution funded by the CIA and the ND in 2014 called the Rose Rev uh no the Sunflower Revolution that's the name of it that put a little puppet regime that's embracing US military um operations vigorously and almost trying to goad China into being forced to do what Russia did to Ukraine I don't think they're going to do it cuz you know, these are more just soft Taiwanese uh, youth fanatics who are not as violent as the Azov neo-Nazis who were and were ready to carry out a mass genocide against East Donetsk. Um, despite that, it's the same type of formula. And if you look at it on Russia's perimeter, they're facing the same military encirclement of a NATO ABM system to try to declare full spectrum dominance, take out Russia's ability to respond to a nuclear attack. Um, 
we have a quote here by Donald Trump. I just want to read aloud just so people realize what scared the oligarchy in 2019, but the whole time that Trump was in there and even before that, he was pushing towards breaking the U.S. not only out of NATO and out of CIA control, but also breaking the um, the Anglo-American alliance by kicking out the the uh, British ambassador uh, to the United States for a very good reason. And he said here in 2019, April 5th, alongside the vice premier of China, he said, between Russia, China, and us, we are all making hundreds of billions of dollars worth of weapons, including nuclear, which is ridiculous. I think it's much better if we all got together and didn't make these weapons. Those three countries, I think, can come together and stop the spending and spend on things that are more productive towards long-term peace. He was talking about the big infrastructure projects of the new Silk Road, the BRI, big projects in Africa. If we go to the next uh, picture there on the uh, slide, um, the BRI, some people don't understand. There's no next one down. This is the uh, military encirclement. That's the BRI, one example of it with big corridors in uh, development, corridors stretching all the way from east to west. But also if we go down further, we have now Saudi Arabia also seeing that it has no, go down one more. We have Saudi Arabia who recognizes they have no role. No, go down one more to the Saudi uh, picture. Okay, that's fine. Uh, they have no role to play in the new world order, which is a post-oil world order of depopulation. And so Saudi Arabia has even floated the idea of getting rid of U.S. dollars as the basis of dealing with oil and doing yuan instead, but using that for building large-scale infrastructure that they have not had before, nuclear power development. Uh, this is high-speed rail, 2,700 kilometers across the Arabian desert that could stretch down into Yemen as a driver for long-term growth. So Saudi Arabia has usually been a sponsor of terrorism, ISIS, other groups on behalf of their Anglo-American controllers. We now have a bit of a shift because I think the leaders of the Gulf states are realizing that under the Green New Deal world order of depopulation, their oil-based economies play no real role of value, and they're all kind of disposable at the end of the day. Um, if we go down a little bit further to the next slide below that, there is now an open discussion renewed to extend this type of high-speed rail through Yemen now that they have a peace process going for the first time in a long time. This could be arranged with Iran's help being part of the Russia-India-China alliance um, as a new a block of stability to build infrastructure down into Africa, where um, you have now, next slide here is Africa as a whole is seeing now a new Renaissance potential. There is high-speed rail developments. There are nine lines as part of the Trans-African Development Corridors being built up, already being built up at different points, Addis Ababa to Djibouti and Ethiopia, which is targeted for destruction by the US State Department under this proxy war with the Tigray. That's a whole show unto itself. But we've got now an idea of state banking, of protective tariffs, of large-scale infrastructure based upon the idea of not worshiping money in the present. But the problem is we're governed by a bunch of sociopathic elites that have worked very hard to destroy Trump's orientation towards revectoring the U.S. towards um, a cooperative policy, getting rid of our affiliation with NATO, with the World Health Organization, with the World um, Economic Forum, and all of these other things. And instead, we're now going into the other direction towards an overdrive into a depopulation agenda, which is really um, Maury Strong's wet dream. So we've got these two different directions. Uh, there's a lot to talk about that I, I left out, but I hope I gave people the inspiration to want to look into this stuff a lot more on their own terms. We're going to be back tomorrow with the regular broadcast by Sean Morgan on Making Sense of the Madness on American per Media Periscope. This has been Matthew Eric with the Canadian Patriot Review and Rising Tide Foundation, and I'm signing off right now. I'll hopefully see you guys at some future time. Bye-bye.